I'll clock. That's cute. That's a hint, right? Well, good morning. <laughs> We've got to do better than that. All right. <laughs> good morning. good morning. All right. That's a little better. It's good to be with you again, and it's always good to see what God's doing at your church. I was thinking during worship, uh, first time I met Josh and Randy, and God had birthed in their heart of, of a desire to plant a church here in Orange Crest, and it's been pretty remarkable to see what God has done. It's been very amazing to see what God has done in the last few years. Uh, as mentioned, uh, pastor, uh, we, we deal with pastors on a regular basis, about 225 pastors and church that work together. I was a pastor for 20 years. And, uh, and my wife, who will be here in the second service, one of the things we get to do is we go to different churches every Sunday in the Inland Empire. Uh, and we have the opportunity to enjoy uh, the diversity in the body of Christ. Uh, and there's a wonderful diversity in our area, and worship styles and cultural expressions and so forth across this area. And then in most of those churches, we have an opportunity to share God's word in situations such as this. Uh, about a year ago, uh, God placed a message on my heart, which has never happened before, uh, for our churches. Now, that's been a new thing for me, because when you're pastoring, you can't preach the same thing every Sunday, because after two or three weeks, people catch on. It's like, I think I heard that before. Uh, uh, and so God has placed on my heart a, 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 a message that... I have a desire to share with many churches as I can, as often as God will allow me to. And it talks about how to bless and pray uh, for your pastor. And it has really been remarkable uh, how it's been received. It's, uh, it's, it'd be a very impossible message for your pastor to preach, at least with the same freedom that I can. But we found that most churches put a high value and appreciate their pastor and his wife. And so about 18 months ago, I got an email that said, Daryl, how can we bless our pastor? That's a good question. And so I just began to ask pastors, what can your church do to be a blessing to you? And then out of that became this message you'll hear the heart of in just a few moments. Let me start by saying that in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of David. And David had a desire to build a temple to God that would reflect to the world David's estimation of the greatness of God. There was no selfishness in David's heart, no arrogance in his heart at that time anyway. He just wanted the world to know how awesome he viewed Jehovah God. David's original answer, he thought, was yes, and God told him no for various reasons. But God made a promise to him that his son Solomon would be able to build that temple to God that, uh, that David so desired. And so after David's death, in seven years, Solomon builds this temple to God that was on his dad's heart for so many years to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, they dedicate that temple to God. And in that prayer of dedication, Solomon prays for some of the following things. He prays that God's house be a place of God's favor, a place of reconciliation, a place where God's word is taught clearly and practically as it addressed people's lives and their daily issues, a place of inclusiveness where everybody would feel completely welcome and equal in the eyes of God and so forth. But in that prayer, which God responded to with his glory, which is when you pray and God responds with his glory, you nailed the prayer, over 16 times he connects God's house and prayer, which says a lot about God's desire for his house. When I was pastoring, I hear people say, I want our, our church to be a church of worship. I want our church to be a church of discipleship. I want our church to be a church of community. God says, here's my number one choice, be a place of prayer. In fact, you remember in the New Testament, there was a time when Jesus entered the temple and cleansed it. And, and he was upset. He said, you've made my house a den of thieves, but it is to be a house of prayer. So I'm talking about prayer this morning in particular. 
an aspect of prayer that we easily overlook, and that is how to pray and how to bless your pastor. I want to read this passage for you out of 1 Timothy chapter 5.17. Paul writes to the body of Christ that the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. In the middle of that passage, Paul gives an analogy, uh, a farming analogy. And he connects it to elders. He says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, here's what he's teaching about oxen, and he connects it to elders. Here's the teaching. The teaching is practically don't punish the oxen if he takes care of his own needs as he works hard for you. In other words, as that oxen is treading the grain, if he reaches down and eats some food, let him do it. Let him take care of his own needs as he works hard for you. Then he connects that in this passage to elders. And so the teaching of the passage is simple. Don't punish the elder. Don't punish the pastor, the spiritual leader, for taking care of his own needs as he works hard for you is the clear teaching of that passage. So let's talk. Let me show you two slides and get to the heart of this message. The first one is how do you bless a pastor? There is a teaching in Scripture that talks about blessing those that are a blessing to us. And we can go along here if we can. There we go. So how do you bless your pastor? So let's get through this slide and then get to the heart of the message. Number one is notes of encouragement. This came from talking to multiple pastors over coffee. And believe me, this guy right here drinks a lot of coffee. Notes of encouragement. Listen, in particular, if a pastor teaches something that that really God uses to speak to your heart, boy, that next week an email, a text, whatever, As you know, Pastor, on Sunday, when you said this, God used that to really speak to my heart. I want you to know that. Now, I am sure amongst our 225 churches, this church is the one exception. But many churches have one person who fills their job is to correct everything the pastor says wrong. I'm sure you don't have that person at all. If they are, they're probably in the second service. Amen? (laughs) That can discourage a pastor. But notes of encouragement, hey, when you taught this, it spoke to me, can really encourage him in his ministry. Here's a second one. Not receiving what the Bible calls an accusation. I hear pastors say to me oftentimes, Daryl, if they just would have asked me, if they just come to me for clarification, if they just wouldn't take things wrong or believe what they hear, they just come and ask me what they heard or what I meant. That would just clean things up so quickly. Number three, remember he has a family, and it's biblically, biblically his first priority is them. Here's one. Number four, when he messes up taking biblical steps, do you ever mess up? Louder. Let's be bold. A lot. Let's just go for it, all right? We're in church, let's be honest. Hey, pastors mess up, amen? Absolutely. When he messes up taking biblical steps, here's the two options I see we get when someone messes up. Overlook in a spirit of love or go in a spirit of reconciliation. I think that's the only two options we actually get. Overlook in a spirit of love. It's a bad day. It happens. not going to worry about it. Or you go in a spirit of reconciliation. When he messes up taking biblical steps. Understanding when he takes care of his own needs as he treads out the crane. Follow me here. You're in a church that's being blessed by God, and the church is growing in ministries and in people. 
Here's an attitude that will discourage a pastor. Listen to me. Here's the attitude. I understand he can't be at everything, but he better be at my thing. Did you follow that? I understand he can't be at everything. Well, we do a lot. Look at our bulletin. But he better be at my thing. If everybody has that attitude, where's he got to be at? He's got to be at everything. And sometimes a pastor's not at my thing. That doesn't mean he doesn't care or doesn't love me or doesn't think he should be budgeted. This means he's probably taking care of his own needs as he treads out the grain. Here's one that will surprise you. Of all pastors, this is probably one of the top three complaints. Coming to church when he's not here. Again, I'm sure your church is the absolute exception. But some pastors, if they tell the church they're going to be gone, attendance goes down. I want you to think about this. If a pastor goes on vacation and people don't show up, that church is punishing that pastor for taking care of his own needs of vacation as he treads out the corn. One of the most loving things we can do for a pastor, allow him to relax when he's away, is to show up when he's not here. In fact, next time he's not here, let's have a record attendance. That'll encourage him. Amen? No. <laughs> but you get the idea. Pastor, you weren't here. It was great. No, that's not the idea. <laughs> next one is always fun. Gifts. And then the heart of the message. Number eight, pray for him biblically. Now, the next slide is not designed to do anything but impress upon us the need of the message. Barna and Focus on the Family did a survey a few years ago and surveyed thousands of pastors across denominational lines. Here's what they learned. 90% feel fatigued regularly. Let's go put all these up here. 89% consider leaving the ministry at one time. 1,500 pastors every month in this country leave the ministry due to burnout, moral failure, or contention in their church. Almost 20% of their marriages end in divorce. 80% of the seminary students will leave ministry within the first five years. 77% did not feel they had a close friend to confide in. And here's the big one. 97% did not have or know of a group that was committed to pray for them on a regular basis. That is a scary slide. I don't think things have changed. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 15.30. And it's the, I want you to look at the words that the Apostle Paul uses, the intensity of this verse. He said, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. This is the Apostle Paul. I don't know how your mind thinks, but my mind goes the following. I know that Jesus Christ is the most spiritual man in the Bible. I know that. I kind of figure Moses and Paul compete for number two. (laughs) Moses, Old Testament, Paul, New Testament. This is God's lead guy in the New Testament. This is the lead missionary. He wrote most of the New Testament with the Holy Spirit's inspiration. This is a spiritually driven spiritual leader. And he says to the body of Christ, I am begging you. I am begging you, this great apostle says. And not that you 
Pray for me in a token way that you strive together. That word means to agonize before God. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, that great Apostle. Saying, I am begging you that you agonize before God with me, for me, in prayer. And when I read the Apostle Paul's words, I ask myself this question. If this great apostle needed the prayers of God's people, how much more a pastor? I almost sense within Paul a hesitancy to engage in spiritual battle without the knowledge that the body of Christ was behind him in biblical, sincere, corporate prayer. By the way, he says that throughout his writings. We'll go through these quickly. 2 Corinthians 1.11, he says, you are helping together in prayer for us. He says in Colossians chapter 4, there it is, meanwhile praying also for us. He says in the next passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, brethren, pray for us. Hebrews chapter 13 says, pray for us. Well, how in the world do you pray for a pastor? You're wondering, aren't you? Good, because I need that to segue to the next verse. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, same guy, the Apostle Paul, teaches us how. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have the faith. Paul said, as a spiritual leader, here's how I want you to pray for me. He said, then would you pray that God's word would run swiftly through my life? The idea is of water that goes unhindered. Most of us know from negative pictures that when water runs unhindered, there is impact. Now, most of us know through tsunamis and floods, we see it that way, so we have negative pictures. But but the analogy is that when water flows unhindered, things happen. There is results. Paul says, as a spiritual leader, that is how I want you to pray for me. That God's word would flow unhindered through my life. What a great way to pray for a pastor every week. God, I pray for our pastor that whatever he's doing today, that whether he's teaching your word or ministering to someone in his office or at at the restaurant talking to a waiter or whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that as our pastor ministers your word today, that your word will flow unhindered. Isn't that a great way to pray? Through his life. That sin will be removed, that obstacles taken care of, barriers demolished. That wherever he's at, that God's word would flow unhindered through him as he ministers your word for your kingdom today. And Paul said that's the first way I want you to pray for me as a spiritual leader. That God's word would flow unhindered swiftly through my life. Then we kind of have a play on word, and that number two, it would be glorified. And be glorified. So he's speaking that God's word would be glorified, which when that happens, by default, God is glorified. 
So that God's word would flow through me unhindered, and then it would be glorified. So I ask myself, well, how is God's word glorified when someone ministers it? The first thing I thought of, well, how it's presented. You don't minister to everybody the same way. We're all different, amen? And some people want you to be straightforward, and some want you to be more careful, and you've got to navigate where they're at, their personal life, their background, their spiritual level. That's a little tricky ministering to people. One size of ministry style doesn't fit all. So that could be in Paul's mind here, that as I minister God's word, that I would understand the, the correct way to minister at that moment in that person's life. But I think primarily it's referring to how God's word is received. Because I believe that God's word is glorified when it's received positively, which by default glorifies God. But also, listen, that encourages a pastor. Nothing's more discouraging to a spiritual leader than to minister God's word and have no response time after time after time after time. That can get disheartening. But when he ministers God's word and is responded to in a positive way, that's what's best for the hearer, it glorifies God and it encourages that pastor's heart. That's why if he says something that speaks to you, you should write him a note of encouragement because that encourages a pastor's heart when God's word is glorified and responded to in an obedient way. So that was Paul's prayer. Pray that God's word would flow through me freely, and that the word would be glorified, which glorifies God as best for the hearer, and it encourages a spiritual leader. And then Paul surprises us. It was in pray that God would protect me, that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, the word delivered pretty much means to keep out of my face. (laughs) Anybody here like Westerns? Okay, hang with me here, those that don't. (laughs) I was raised in Bakersfield. We watch Westerns, not cartoons. I mean, it's just where I'm from. (laughs) In Westerns, they have a phrase called being cut off at the pass. You ever heard of that? That's when the bad guys are going to a city to do harm and the good guys keep them from getting there. They cut them off at the pass. That's what this word means. Paul. All things to all people, Paul. Passionately loves people, Paul. I'd rather die and go to hell so others don't, Paul. This guy loved people. So there's two types of people I want you to pray that God keeps out of my face. Number one, those that are unreasonable. Now listen to me. No elbows. No staring. No looking across the room. No names. Do you ever met someone who's unreasonable? You ever met an unreasonable person? They all have. You know what unreasonable people do? Unreasonable people wear you Amen? Because they're unreasonable. (laughs) You can have great reasoning, but they are unreasonable. You can be a great reasoner. (laughs) The problem is they are unreasonable. Unreasonable people wear you out. Because you try to reason with them, and it makes good sense to us, and 90% of people in the room. 
But the problem is, they are unreasonable. And Paul says, I'm going to ask you to pray that God keeps unreasonable people away from me. You know, as pastors, we reason from the Scripture. Hey, listen, your marriage is bad? Well, look, here's how God says you should do marriage. If you want a different marriage, you've got to do it God's way. I'm reasoning from Scripture. Even God said to Israel in the Old Testament, come now, let us reason together. God says, look, I don't want emotional decisions. That's as long as the emotion. I want well-thought-out decisions to follow me. I want reasonable decisions to follow me spiritually. But reasoning doesn't work with someone who's unreasonable. <laughs> They'll take a lot of time. They'll take a lot of energy. And they'll make you feel guilty for not getting the right reasoning. Are you with me? But they wear you out. And Paul said, I want you to pray as a pastor spiritually that God just keeps those people away from me. And the second group Paul calls wicked. Those who are wicked. What's the difference? An unreasonable person wears the pastor out and doesn't know they're doing it. A wicked person is there to take him out. It is intentional. They take joy in bringing a pastor down. They take joy in destroying his character. They take joy in destroying his family. They are just flat out bent on destroying spiritual leaders. They are wicked. And I can assure you from pastoring churches my entire life that when a church begins to grow and is blessed by God, some of these will show up. The enemy will see to it. God says, excuse me, Paul says, as a spiritual leader who loves God, as a spiritual leader who is being used by God, as a man who passionately loves people, there's two types of people I want you to ask God to keep out of my face. Those that are unreasonable who wear me out and those who are wicked who want to take me out. That is an incredibly serious prayer. Now, one more passage, and we're going to practice God's Word. Same guy, the Apostle Paul, says these words. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want you to notice in this passage how Paul calls what he calls our spiritual life. He calls this a warfare. That's an intense word. Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare. Paul reminds us that church is not just a gathering of saints for fellowship. It's not just a believer's only club or whatever it may be. Paul says, I've got to remind you as the body of Christ that what we are engaged in is spiritual warfare. Now, I accepted Christ at the age of 15, 35 years ago. 
And when I accepted Christ, I was told the following. That God has an enemy. And that enemy hates God so much, he wants people to die and go to hell when life is over. And that was partially true. What I've learned is that God has an enemy. And yes, he does want that when life is over, but he also wants them to go through hell until life is over. He is bent on destruction. All around this church are families in disarray. He wants to destroy their marriages. He wants to ravage their children. He is bent on destruction. Paul says, listen to me, it is a war. Now follow me here. In any war, it is just good war strategy to take out the commanders on the field. That's just good war strategy. You wipe out the commanders and the troops scatter. That's why Paul said, I am begging you. I am flat out begging you as a spiritual leader that you pray for me. Because it is intense and the battle is hot and the stakes are high and the commanders are the target. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I want to do two things. I want us to practice God's word right now. We're going to do immediate obedience, all right? We're going to glorify God by responding positively to his word. And we're going to take about two or three minutes. I'm going to ask you to pray for your pastor and his wife. I'm just going to take you through this little outline that Paul gave us. So between you and the Lord, would you right now just pray for your pastor? Would you pray right now that as he ministers God's word, that God's word would flow through him freely? In fact, he's got eight hours of that this afternoon, right? So this afternoon when he ministers God's word, would you pray that God's word, right now pray that, that as, as our pastor ministers your word, Father, I pray that your word would flow through him freely, unhindered, whether it's to his family or to believers or those who have not yet come to Christ, whatever. Would you pray that for him right now? Number two, would you pray that as he ministers God's word, that God's word would be glorified. That, Father, as our pastor ministers your word every day, may people respond to it in a positive way that will glorify you and encourage our pastor's heart. And number three, Father, would you protect our pastor? Would you keep away from him those that are unreasonable, those who wear him out? And those who are wicked, those who are sent by the enemy to take him out. Father, right now, I pray that you protect our pastor as he engages in spiritual warfare for your kingdom's sake. Now let me ask this question. Keep your head bowed. Nobody's looking around, I guarantee you. 
you're an awesome church. I guess you're average in the next question. Nobody looking around, even on stage. Let me ask you this question. As God is your witness, how many of you prayed for your pastor more than three times this last week? Would you raise your hand? You're an average church. That's less than 5%. I've not found a church yet over 5%. That needs to change. That has to change. I believe we're setting our pastors up for spiritual failure if it doesn't change. The message that God's placed on my heart for our church is we've got to start praying for our pastors. Regularly and biblically. Let me ask you this next question. Is God is your witness? This is not for emotional show or some silly thing like that. This is serious spiritual engagement. As God is your witness. How many of you will say, I'm going to pray for my pastor regularly and biblically from this day forward? Would you raise your hand? Ah, that's good. Now that right there glorifies God. I guarantee you. And that will change your church. Father, we thank you for those that you bring into our life. We thank you for spiritual leaders that we take for granted go so wrapped up on our own battles we forget about theirs. We pray for the spiritual leaders of this church that your word would flow through them unhindered, be glorified, that they'd be protected from those that are wicked and unreasonable. Pray you help us to value those that you bless us with. Let them know of our love and our deep appreciation. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been very attentive. We're going to take the offering. Is that correct? So the ushers come and we do a song. Please turn your connection card. Thank you for allowing me to come and share with you.